On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Let us pray. My prayer is Miriam's prayer, Mother Mary's prayer, let it be. Let it be with your woman servant according to your word. With these words, the word of God was formed in the woman of God. On this day as on that day, let the daughter of God bring forth the word of God. Amen. Thank you, Winnie, for this invitation, and thank all of you who I've met over the last couple of days for the warm hospitality. Now, I heard you chuckle during the gospel, and that's good. That's even better, because I'm a black church Episcopalian, and I need you to talk back to me in the sermon. Uh, there, there are pastors who will not stop preaching until they get their amens. I just said there are pastors. I, I didn't say it was me. It, it was a setup. It was an ordinary Tuesday, and a mama's boy from Nazareth was attending a wedding about 15 miles up the road. Some have speculated that it was the wedding of his youngest sister, that he and his mama wanted to see her settled, and however many other sisters he had, because Jesus had sisters in the plural, which means he had at least two, but an unknown number, that he wanted to get his sister settled before he went about his father's business. So this mama's boy went to this wedding of family or perhaps friends with his disciples and his mama because he, and for that matter, she was queerly single. They rolled in heavy for this particular wedding. Uh, now please indulge my sanctified womanist imagination as I paint this picture. Uh, the text says Jesus and his disciples, not just Shimon called Simon called Peter and his wife, his brother Andreas called Andrew, Yaakov and Johannes ben Zebedee called James and John with their mama, Philip and Bartholomeus, Thomas and Matthias, you know, the one with the dirty tax money, Yaakov ben Alfie also called James, Thaddeus and the other Shimon, that hardcore revolutionary Simon, and Yehuda called Judas, that bra from Cariot, a.k.a. Iscariot, also called Judas. See, it says disciples are not just apostles, so that means all of the Miriams called Mary, Mary and Martha, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Salome, and all the women who get left out of the story, and the women who even when they are there don't have their names called. There's a whole sermon to be preached about who John remembers and who he doesn't, whose name he calls and whose he doesn't, like the mother of Jesus. He never fixes his lips or his pen to call the Blessed Virgin by her name. And there's also a conversation to be had about why Western white Christian tradition uses anglicized whitewashed names that erase the Jewish heritage of the disciples, apostles, and followers of Jesus, including his mama. A black folk don't cotton to folk fooling with our names. Now that is another sermon. 
Uh, but today we are remembering a wedding. From ancient Israelite religion through rabbinic Judaism, marriage is the joining of two families. Since there was no recognizable social structure made up of two people with or without children. That is why critical biblical scholarship is so important because a simple word like family does not mean what you think it means when read across time and space, geography and culture. See, it was always about the whole family, three and four generations coming together. Oh, the celebration would have been off the hook, off the hise, off the chain. There would have been laughing, there would have been singing, there would have been dancing, there would have been eating, and there would have been drinking. The wine was flowing, and they would have drunk their hearts happy. Oh, the party was just getting started, but somebody's uncle had already embarrassed half the family over in the corner. <laughs> A folk are getting loud, singing off key. Other folk who had refused to drink all night, uh, refused to dance all night, got themselves a couple of cups in them, and then they were showing off moves that had never been seen before or since. Mary, Jesus, and the crew are getting down on the good foot. It was litty, it was popping, it was slapping, it was a whole vibe. It was crunk, it was crushing, it was a whole situation. They was going up on a Tuesday. <laughs> and they drunk all them people's wine. <laughs> and his mama, perhaps looking for another cup for herself or overseeing the festivities, if indeed it was her daughter's wedding, or you know how we do, keeping track of every single detail, whether it's our family's wedding or not. His mama spoke a word that would change the course of his life, the lives of those around them, and the entire scope of human history. It was a setup. On this Wakanda weekend, in my sanctified womanist imagination, I hear her telling him like Queen Ramonda, show them who you are. It was a setup. A step out into your inheritance. Walk in the fullness of your identity and giftedness. Come all the way out of the closet. I know your life will change forever, but be who you are anyway. Be who God created you to be. I know living as your fully authentic self, you will live a life of joy, but you will also become deeply acquainted with sorrow and grief, pain and betrayal and death but you will also walk in a life so powerful that not even death can quench your flame. Show them who you are. It was a setup. Whether by divine design or human hands, the wedding at Cana was indeed a setup. For in John, this is the miracle that begins it all. This is the moment that puts the name Jesus on the lips of everyone. This is the first step towards Calvary, and it all begins with a glass of wine or perhaps an empty, and a holy mother who reads the signs of the time and knows it's time for her holy child to walk into the future prepared for him. Uh, John said, mm, the wine gave out. Beloved, the wine gave out because they drank it all. Though I like how John words it as though the wine just disappeared into thin air. Uh, then Miriam bat Hannah, Mary who tradition tells us was the daughter of Anna and Joachim, 
Mary, daughter of Bathsheba, Mary, the mother of God, Mary, the mother of the church, Mary, the mother of hope, Mary, the gate of heaven, Mary, the queen of angels, Mary, the queen of prophets, Mary, the queen of patriarchs, Mary, the queen of matriarchs, Mary, the queen of martyrs, Mary, the queen of heaven, but today, just Mary, the single mother, husband, whereabouts unknown. Rejoicing over someone else's good fortune at a wedding that must have brought back the memories of her time with her beloved. But today there is no man on her arm, none but her son. The two of them clearly, queerly single in a culture with vastly different expectations for them. Mother Mary spoke a word. They have no wine. They they, the bride and groom and their families, your hosts, your family, your friends, the folks who've been providing all of us with such a good time are not running out of wine. They have plum run out and there is no more wine and there are hours of celebration yet to come. If you come from some kinds of black families, I, some kinds of families, families with black mamas, for example, you know what is expected of you with just a look. No request has to be made. And if you have one of those kind of mamas, no matter how old you are, usually the look is enough by itself. But sometimes you get caught up and you miss the look or you don't take it seriously. And when that look is followed by a word, uh, you know your time has run out. Oftentimes, if it reaches the level of an audibly spoken word in public, you're going to have some uncomfortable moments in private. You had better get your hind parts out of whatever chair they are resting in and go about your mother's business if you want hind parts to bring back to your chair. <laughs> and it doesn't matter how old you are, a walk into your mama's house or her present at any age and you will find out that parenting is still a verb and you are its object. <laughs> and here it all began with a black mama, a look and a word. Now I know the look is not recorded in the scriptures, but if you have a black mama, have had a black mama, or, or are a black mama, you know that look, and you know it was there. That look that sometimes comes with a simple statement. The trash is in the kitchen. <laughs> the grass hasn't been cut. There are lights on all over my house. And Jesus says to his mama, woman, what is that to me? Generations of black folk and other folk have just squinched up every time they hear that. Now I know Jesus did not sass his mama in public. He said neither yes nor ma'am. This is one case where the words of Jesus are not taken as gospel in terms of how to talk to your mama. Do not go home to your mama and say, woman, what I promise you, you will not get past the second word if you have some kind of mama. Uh, but their world is not our world. Our customs and manners are not their customs and manners. Their endearments are not our endearments. And his endearment of choice to women in the Gospel of John is not the endearment of choice to most folks. But I have a good girlfriend. 
who whenever she calls me, she says, woman, how you doing? Woman, what you up to? Woman, what's up next for you? Woman, what you writing? And it wasn't until I met her that I heard someone who used the word woman as an endearment and I understood what Jesus was doing. I looked in the gospel and I heard him say from the cross, woman, here is your son. I saw him in the garden and I heard him say, woman, why are you weeping? And at the well, I overheard him say, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the creator neither here nor in Jerusalem. Woman only sounds like a harsh term when you're not used to hearing it as an endearment because you've been fed a diet of sexism and patriarchy from an early age in and out of the church. But in reality, woman is a powerful word. It is a word that does not domesticate women as auntie, mama, or sis, because it, woman is not related to any man. It is a word of embodiment, autonomy, and self-possession as Jesus uses it as an endearment. Now, Mother Mary knows she doesn't have to say another word to her Holy Ghost heartbeat. In fact, she turns away from him to address one of the waitstaff, and when doing so, she offers the ultimate description of di discipleship on which no one can improve. Do what he tells you to do. Uh, that was a setup, too. Uh, this time, it's the cupbearer who's set up. Now it's their turn to show the world who they are. Does she or he take a cup of what is obviously water over to the chief steward in the middle of the wine crisis at the wedding? Are they making a fool of her? And even if Mother Mary is the mother of the bride, should the servant or slave walk out on her faith in obedience? Now they could have walked away and poured that cup into a plant somewhere. And I firmly believe if they had poured the cup out, it would have been water. But somewhere between dipping the cup of water and walking over to the chief steward, the power of God that Mary knew so well because she had borne it in her body, transformed the elements of water into wine, just as the elements of her body were transformed into the body and blood of Christ, bone of her bone and flesh of her flesh. There was another single mother and her son in our first lesson. Due to some foolishness and shenanigans, murder and mayhem, raping and pillaging, God came close to firing the entire line of David. So God sent her prophet to tell this mother's son that he would become the first king of a new Israel, one that was broken off from Judah. Oh, it was a setup. If he did what God said, some would blame him for breaking the kingdom. See, this was a different kind of setup. Sometimes the thing that God calls us to do won't bring us any fame or glory, or it won't bring us the right kind of fame. It may lead to folk calling us out of our name, and we may never get a chance to set the record straight. We might not even live to see the end of our work or know how the story is going to turn out. The truth might be known to no one but God, but when the moment comes to step out into the setup, that is when we show the world and ourselves who we are and whose we are. Whether God is calling you to carry a cup of wine or carry a cross, whether God is calling you to wear a crown or wear stripes on your back. I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like God sets me up. 
Sometimes the path before me unfolds so that I have a choice to make. If I take one more step, it'll be a step I cannot walk back from. But if I take that step, a whole world of complications will follow that I, I had known I would have never taken uh, that step. But if I do take that step, I won't walk it alone. Jesus will walk with me. The folk who party with me at weddings may walk with me a little while, but when they fall away, Jesus will still be there and God will show you who she is. Sometimes we need help recognizing that our time has come. And I'm here to tell you that there will always be someone who will give you the push you need to take that first step. Whether saints on earth or saints in heaven, whether the Holy Ghost or Mother Mary herself, the ancestors, the glorious cloud of witnesses, the communion of the saints is full of folk loving on you, praying for you, cheering you on because you are one of their you are a child of God and you are kinfolk whether or not you are skinfolk. Step into your setup. And while it might look like you're all by yourself, you'll never walk alone. Jeroboam accepted the crown and the prophet of God walked with him along the way. The cupbearer may have thought he was all by himself. Maybe they even thought they were being made a fool, but she stepped out into her setup anyway, not even knowing who had her back. At the wedding of Cana, Jesus stepped out into his setup. He revealed his glory in public, taking that first step on the death march towards Calvary. Later, he stepped to Nicodemus, and he used his questions as a setup for the Holy Ghost. Earlier, he stepped into the waters of baptism, and the Holy Ghost set up on him. He stepped to the sister at the well and, her, and set her up to preach the gospel. He he stepped to the man by the pool of Bethsaida. He told him to stand up and take up his mat and walk. Oh, that was a setup too. Jesus stepped to the shores of Galilee and set up the disciples to feed the crowd with the little boy's lunch sandwiches. He stepped to the grounds of the temple and taught like no man had ever taught before. He stepped to a sister who had been set up and turned the tables on the men who used her to try and set him up. One day, Mary and Martha called for him to step on over to their house, but he wouldn't just get to stepping. They didn't know it was a setup, but on the fourth day, he stepped to the grave and Lazarus stepped out. Then everyone understood it was a setup. And then one evening, Jesus stepped into a garden to pray and found out that one of the men he loved had set him up. He stepped right into that trap. Then he stepped over to the high priest's house and he stepped into Pilate's palace. He stepped on over to Golgotha, but he didn't walk alone. He stepped freely into his death knowing he was set up by the empire that chooses hate over love, division over unity that chooses conquest over cooperation and death over life. He was set up to die. But on the third day, after Jesus was set up for the last and final time, he stepped out of the grave with Queen Ramonda's words that I placed on his mother's lips, ringing in his ear in my sanctified imagination. Show them who you are. 
It was a setup. Death got God, Jesus got up and calls us to get up and step out into our setup so that we can show them who and whose we are. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana where Jesus was set up to reveal his glory. Keep your eyes open for the setup because God is in the setup. Amen. Amen. is still not wine. <laughs>